Hey, it's great to be with you all today as we, uh, as we actually get ready to close out our summer series on the Ten Commandments. So we find ourselves in the Tenth Commandment. And it's my hope that you, uh, throughout this summer, have been really challenged uh, through the preaching of the Word, that you have definitely, if you've been paying attention, have been corrected, no doubt, that my prayer is that you've been changed and uh, also that you've been comforted by God's grace and the fact that Christ has accomplished all of this. And, and not only has he pardoned you, if you're, in, if you're in Christ, he's pardoned you of your sins, but he's actually empowered you to, to joyfully be set free to obey the Ten Commandments. And so let's refresh our memories just a little bit briefly about what we've learned up until this point. You know, the first four commandments really had an upward trajectory with how we interact with God, right? And then commandments um, five through nine, they actually had an outward trajectory of how we interact with one another as neighbors. But but here's the thing, and, and make no mistake about it, by the way, how we interact with God and how we walk with God drastically will affect how we interact with our neighbors, But the 10th commandment has a much more of an inward focus, right? It has a much more inward focus as you're going to see today as we we talk about this 10th commandment. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Open them up to Exodus 20, uh, verse 17. And I'm going to read and you can follow along. If you don't have your Bibles, we'd love to give you one or you can follow along on the screens. But it says this, Exodus 20, verse 17, the 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's, right? No problem, right? You guys knocking this out of the park? Yeah, listen, listen, our hearts make this extremely hard, let's say impossible apart from God's grace. And then our culture that we live and breathe in does not help, right? We live in a consumer driven market that really wants us to be coveting machines. This crazy world is working very hard to teach you that greed is good and covetousness is actually the norm right? And our consumer-driven market is also working hard to tell you that, that this temptation to covet, well, it's a good thing. And here's the thing, it's everywhere. It's around us like the air that we breathe. It's on your television. It's on the radio. It's all over social media. It's everywhere you look. You'll see it on t-shirts. You'll see it on billboards. Everywhere you look, you're going to see something that's driving this fact to get you to think, I have to have that. If I had that, whoa, I would finally be happy. I would have my best life now. This world works hard to create discontentment in our hearts. And if we're being honest, it doesn't have to work hard, right? Unless, I mean, you're just completely satisfied all the days of your life. It doesn't have to work hard. It wants to cause you to desire things that you do not have because that's what makes the cash flow go. It wants you to be consumed with thoughts that if I just had this, oh, how happy I would be because the world's always preaching a false message of peace and satisfaction apart from God because they know that it will sell. It will sell and it makes big bucks. And we all know it's true. That's why there's so many people deeply in debt, 
Now, I know that there's reasons for some that to be in debt. Maybe it's, it's health insurance and different things that have caused that. But the majority of people find themselves in debt because they live outside the means that God has provided. That's why we see tons of people, once again, and they're hooked on, on prescription medication to try and numb the pain of disappointment because it didn't turn out the way that they wanted. Listen to this crazy dude. He's a French mathematician and a theologian, right? His name is Blaise Pascal. Listen to this quote. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this objective. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Man, I have thought long and hard about that particular quote, and I absolutely I believe to the core of who I am, that's truth. Because we do. We seek satisfaction. The person who takes their own life, let's call it, has come to the end of the rope and they've realized, I've tried everything. Nothing has made me happy. Nothing has brought me peace. Hopefully this will do it. Only to come out to find out that that's not the case. So this is why we've got to have our minds transformed. Right? Because the world is seeking to conform our thinking to a really horrid thinking. That the things of this earth in creation are actually what's going to make us happy. And you got to know this, that wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Make no mistake about it, right? And, and right living, in, in the opposite, it does lead to, to, right thinking leads to right living. Now, you could think right and bad things could happen to you. But seriously, if you think about what the, the Bible teaches as normative, and you seek to obey that, your life's going to probably turn out all right. You may suffer. You may get cancer. People around you that you love will die. But essentially, you're going to be staying on this straight and narrow path if you follow that. So, so what is coveting? What is it, really? Well, at its core, covetousness is an intense desire to enjoy something or someone so much that you lose contentment in God. So let's look a little closer at the verse that we just read, right? Let's make a couple observations. First off, notice this. God says you shall not covet twice. And then he lists off seven things that you and I should not covet. First one, your neighbor's house. Now, for some of you might be thinking, no problem. I've looked around my neighborhood. I have the best house. Maybe you do. But what if your neighbor is everybody? Mm. And then you watch like the Home and Garden channel right? And you're like, oh my goodness, I want their backyard. That is what heaven looks like. And you might work hard at it. And heck, you might even obtain it. And you'll realize quickly, as nice as that backyard is, you can enjoy that, but it's never going to bring you ultimate satisfaction. Then he says, your neighbor's spouse, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, And and in case you're sitting here thinking, that's no problem. I have met my neighbor's spouse. I do not covet him or her. As a matter of fact, I pray for their spouse because that's got to be rough. Right? You might be thinking that. But what if, what if every spouse on the globe is your neighbor? Mm, Have you ever thought about coveting in that way? And, and I'm guessing, right, because of the day and age, you're not thinking, man, I wish I had that dude's donkey. Because probably your neighbor doesn't have one. But what about his BMW? 
right? What about, what about his, his ski boat, right? What about all the different toys that people have? Have you ever thought, boy, I really wish I had that. And by the way, that in itself isn't bad. But if you're craving it so intently that you cannot be content in God, there's a problem. And in case you're thinking, well, I actually don't covet any of those things. Well, you're amazing. But then he drops this bomb. And it is the napalm that levels all of us when he says, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Not their smile, not their eyes, not, not anything, not their personality. And you and I, if we can be honest, we've all coveted like a lot, right? Because that's, well, apart from God's grace and a new heart, that's what we do. We're all guilty of intensely desiring someone or something in a way that, that, first off, it doesn't belong to us, but in a way that absolutely violates God's perfect law and offends him highly because it's sin. And, and I don't think that anyone would deny that. If you would, I'd love to talk to you. Seriously, like, we got to get coffee. I'll buy. But here's the deal. My guess is I'm not going to have any coffee dates for that. But my concern is not that you don't think I've done this. My concern is that you think it's not a big deal. That's my concern. My concern is that you've heard the other Ten Commandments and you think, that's a big deal. But coveting? I mean, really? Come on, man. God, you're, like, you're being a little stern. Because if you think that way, by the way, that's a huge mistake. And the reason I think that people might think that or be tempted to think that is because this particular sin leads to all others. And it's a silent killer because the people around you may not even know that your heart is longing and craving and lusting after things in the created order instead of the creator. And you think, if I just had that, but you may mask it so well, nobody knows. But God knows and you know, and you know. And if you think that does not destroy intimacy with your walk with God, you're wrong. Because ultimately, all sin starts in our heart. And given enough time, it will work itself out in our hands and in our actions, right? Think, think about theft, right? That was one of the commands. You shall not steal. Well, theft occurs when you start to covet other people's stuff, right? Or adultery. Adultery results because you're lusting after someone who's not your spouse. Murder Murder comes in because essentially your own selfish desires are not being met and so you kill. And you think that's not true. Well, think about King David. You think King David in one moment just woke up and said, I'm just going to blow it all in one day. I'm just going to go and have an affair with Bathsheba and then eventually we're going to kill Uriah and I'm just going to lose the kingdom. I'm just going to blow it. He didn't wake up thinking that. His heart was astray and it was wandering, wandering, from what God was calling him to do. No doubt this man was coveting for quite some time. He was lusting. You know, his, his fall didn't happen that day. It happened a thousand steps before that. And this is why coveting is such a big deal. And this is what we learn from the book of James in the New Testament. Look with me uh, at James 4, 1 through 3. James, what a good pastor this dude is. He asks the question, but he knows the answer. And so he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Hmm. Then he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And listen, the easiest way to point this out is think about children. 
right? I mean, seriously, children are awesome. And, and the reason is because they've not learned yet how quite to be a really clever devil. And you're like, you don't know my kid. I know. But here's the deal. They really haven't. They don't know how to mask it all. So you put them in a room with a bunch of toys and they're all playing together. And little Johnny comes up and he, he wants this red Tonka truck. And, and, and Susie has it. And so he might, he might, he might ask, Susie, can I have that Tonka truck? Susie's like, no, I love this red Tonka truck. And so then he runs over and he just snatches it out of her hand. And she might actually get, you know, pretty aggressive and say, give me that back. And before you know it, they're wrestling around on the ground trying to get this Tonka truck and bad things begin to happen. But you, being a great parent, you see this and you rush in to save the day, right? And you say, listen, little, little Johnny, what are you, what are you doing? It's like, mommy, I want that toy. That is my favorite toy. If I don't have this toy, I'll never be able to survive. Well, you're going to be left with a couple of choices. Hopefully you're going to deal with his covetous heart. But he's a young guy. He needs trained. He needs discipled. But you know what I've seen? I've seen parents, oh, they, they fan that flame and they're like, oh, okay, honey, that is your toy. And they go over to Susie and they say, Susie, give, give my son back his toy. If you do that, you are helping create a monster. Hopefully you'd say, no, listen, son, you, you're going to be okay. Like, there's a thousand other toys here. You can play with that. No, I have to have that. You actually don't have to have that. And then you start to talk about needs and wants, right? And you're coaching, you're discipling, because this is going to happen. Well, it's easy to see in children, but boy, we become clever. See, our selfish desires lead to conflict with one another, just like the children. But here's the thing. This actually has a much more serious conflict a conflict between you and God when your heart covets. This is why the 10th commandment is so intimately connected to the first commandment that that God says, you shall have no other gods before me. See, coveting is nothing more than going essentially to these broken cisterns as though they're like the toilets of the world, taking big drinks, hoping to be satisfied, only to come up, I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied. And here's the reason. Because covetousness is ultimately a worship problem. See, the first and the 10th commandment are identical, really. To covet is idolatry. You don't believe me? Well, hopefully you'll believe the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Look at Colossians 3.5. Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to the Christian. He's talking to those who are in Christ. So if you're in Christ, he's talking to you. And he says, listen, put to death that which is earthly in you. Right? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And then he says this, which is idolatry. That's what it is. It's wrong worship. Your heart is lusting after something in the created order. You're worshiping the creation instead of the creator. That is idolatry. And it's, it's plain to see that the Bible teaches that, that covetousness is idolatry. And that is the root of all our other sins. See, to covet ultimately is to not trust that God is good and that he's a good provider and that he knows exactly what you need. And, and ultimately it's to say you're not in control Because if you were in control, you would see, I have to have this. And you'd give it to me. But he is in control, and he is good. See, ultimately, you've got to think about this. If God provides his children with what they need, and he does, ultimately, and we lust after things that he's not provided as of yet, then we're denying the goodness of God, of his providential hand. We're saying, ultimately, God, you're not fair, and you're not really for me. You don't want my best. And coveting is a deadly sin. 
all, all sin is deadly. But it's deadly serious because each of us are really faced with a choice. And the choice is this. Are you and I going to live at the center of our lives? Is everything going to orbit around us? Right? Or are we going to allow the love of God to draw us out of ourselves into him and have him at the center of our lives and to trust him? That's really what the question is. And let me be clear, because the Bible is strikingly clear. You will either be friends with the world or you will be friends with God. You cannot be friends with both. You either love God or you'll love money or you'll love this or you'll love that. But you can't love both with the same passion. God will not have it. You cannot pursue both. You must pursue one. And, and you see this clearly in Luke 18, 18 through 30 with the rich young ruler. So if you're not familiar with that text, let's look at the text because I think there's some interesting things that we want to look at and learn from. So first off, a Luke 18, 18 through 30. Listen as I read the thing and, uh, and we'll work through it. And a ruler asked him, him being Jesus. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Pause. Great question. It's a fantastic question. And Jesus said to him, why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Pause. First off, just to make sure you're all clear, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's saying that because this man's coming to him and he's treating him as though he's just some other teacher or Pharisee. He's not recognizing him as God. And so Jesus is actually pointing out, you got some blindness going on here. But then he said this, he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the young man said this, all these things I've kept from my youth, right? He's like, you can just picture him smiling. He's so proud. Well, what's funny then Jesus said, and he heard this and he said to him, he says, one thing you still lack. So all that you have distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus seeing that he become sad said this, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Make a couple observations, right? First off, this dude seemed to have a lot going for him. First off, he's rich, right? And outwardly, it seems as though he's righteous because Jesus doesn't even, he doesn't even say, no, that's not true, I know this. I mean, he's definitely broke these commandments, but Jesus didn't need to put him on blast because he exposed his heart in a different way. He lists off of these five commandments, but he kept one to himself. Notice that Jesus only mentioned five of the six that interact with neighbor. And he did not mention coveting, right? Which is the inward one. But he does it like a stealthy ninja when he says this, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor and follow me. You're going to have treasure in heaven. And what he did was he showed this young man, you love money way more than you love me. And this young man, he really took a bad exchange right? Because he could have had real treasure with Christ, but he chose to, to hold on like, like Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob. Money, 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 right? He held on to his treasure here. Now my hope is this dude later on, like he, he saw the error of his way, right? And Jesus opened his eyes. He became born again and he gave it all away and he followed Christ. Well, I don't know, but I do know that if you keep reading that chapter in the book of Luke, you're going to come and you're going to meet a different man. His name is Zacchaeus. And this man, he was rich too. And he was willing to give it all away and follow Jesus. And he was born again. And Jesus said, salvation came to your house today because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. 
And that man, he did a transfer. He said, this never made me happy anyway. You're a real treasure, Christ. And he followed him. Well, well, that's them. How about you? How about you, right? What do you do if you are ensnared in the trap of coveting? And I'm talking to Christians as well. Don't think just because you're in Christ, you've son of, like, arrived, right? Never struggle with coveting. Lie, lie, lie. You do. And so do I. And so does everybody else. Because, well, we're, we're still fractured. But it's what you do with it when it comes knocking at your door, scraping and clawing, right? And, and here's the thing. What do you do? Do you just shut off your desires? No. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that's not Christian at all. At, at best, it's Buddhist. And Buddhist isn't Christian. So don't confuse the two. It's absolutely not the way that Jesus would call us to follow him. So what do you do? I mean, we're created to have desires. You have desires. And desires in and of themselves are, are not bad. They can be. But, but here's the thing. It's the object of our desire that makes all the difference in the world. We are created to desire and to know and to enjoy the presence of our creator. Right? But, but because of sin and because we're fractured by the fall, it, we have desires that, that go towards creation and they're distorted and they're, they're awry. But here's the thing, the Bible, when properly taught and understood, would say that the problem is not that we desire, but that we actually desire things wrong or wrong things or, or things in an inappropriate way, right? And you're going to see that. Listen, C.S. Lewis gets to the heart of this. Listen to this quote. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. (laughs) I love that quote. That's a great quote, right? And you and I, we've all done this exchange, by the way. Think about it. Think about who in your life makes the best meal. Grandma, mom, wife, husband, right? Whoever that is, right? Think about it. And they're going to make you your favorite meal. And it's going to be ready at five-ish, right? Because if you ask any good cook, they can't tell you exactly when it's going to be done because these things take time. But you're smelling it. You've been thinking about it. You're daydreaming about it. You cannot wait to sit down at the table and feast on your favorite meal. But time goes on and it's getting closer to five and the smells are just woo-hoo. And you made the, the classic mistake rookies make all the time, which is I'm not going to eat all day because then I'll really enjoy my meal. That's your first mistake. You got to like do pregame, baby. And, and you got to time these things. So if you need any counsel in that direction, we'll do that a different day. But you must make sure that you do the base and that you like strategically time when, Right. But say you're a rookie and you didn't do that and so you're really hungry and you're smelling this and you're starting to get hungry and you're salivating and you can't wait and you go out to the kitchen in a rush and you're a little bit anxious and you're panicking. You're like, when's this going to be ready? And they look at you like, like, you're from Mars. First of all, you don't ever ask a cook that, right? Like, get out of my kitchen. It'll be ready when it's ready. It's going to be ready soon. Soon could mean all sorts of things in our home and in homes I've been in. But here's the thing. You're like, I can't wait. So what do you do? Well, you go to your snack drawer, right? And you get some Doritos. 
and you get a two liter of Mountain Dew and you just go sit down in your recliner and you're like, I'm just going to snack. I'm just going to watch the game. I'm just going to wait. And you just start pounding these things. And, and before you know it, the bag is gone. Three quarters of your Mountain Dew two liter is gone. And then you hear these words. It's time to eat, honey. And you're like, okay. And you go out there and you're, you're not enjoying the meal. Is it because the, the meal is not good? No, the meal is amazing. It's because you went for the mud pies. Because you couldn't understand there's a holiday coming and you're going to enjoy it. But you went for the cheap things. And that's what we do with coveting. Things that are of the earth instead of enjoying the presence of God. So what do you do? Well, here's three ways to make war on the sin of coveting that seeks to steal your joy. First, desire Jesus as your greatest treasure, right? Well, it's like, oh, no, oh, no problem. I mean, here's the thing, though. Desire is not the problem. It is the solution. Do you hear me? I'm telling you, desire is not your problem. It's absolutely your solution. God unashamedly encourages us to seek happiness in him, pleasure in him. And it's commanded all throughout the Bible. And it is not an obscure thing. I want you to know if you'll read the Bible with that thought in view, you will see that God longs for his people to experience far greater joy than this world can offer. And he says, and enjoy me. You don't believe me? Let's look at some text. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. By the way, this is not a, a time where you say, oh, I like the way that sounds. I'll manipulate Jesus. Oh, Lord, I'm delighting in you. Give me a BMW. That's not what it's meaning. What he's saying is you delight yourself in me and all the desires for the things of the world, they will decrease because I'm far greater. I'm far greater. And you'll see it in Psalm 1611 where it says, you make known to me the path of life, real life, right? In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, no doubt that that particular text is talking about when we come face to face, when our faith is made sight. But if you think that that joy and that fullness of life doesn't start when you start walking with the Lord, it does. Even if your emotions don't always feel it and they won't because we're fractured. Psalm 63, one through three says this, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Pause. Do you earnestly seek to be happy in God? If not, do that. Do that. Seek him. Seek him. Work, right? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon your sanctuary, beholding the power, your power, your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. And for that reason, my lips will praise you. Do you know that the fact that God's love for you is far better than anything you could ever experience in this world? We are wired for pleasure. We are, we're be a people who desire Christ above all things. And why does God want us to want to enjoy and pleasure in him? Why? Because number one, it, it profoundly glorifies him. It, it makes him look magnificent. He is magnificent. And here's the reason, because what you treasure is what you love. Make no mistake about it. See, your greatest treasure is what you love the most. 
And so if you love money the most, you're going to know because you're going to offer yourself as a sacrifice on many different tables and altars to get that thing. But it will never ultimately satisfy you. You think if I just had more money, I could be content. I could be peaceful. I could be this. You could not be. You could not be unless the Bible is a liar. And the Bible is not a liar. It's the truth. It's true. And here's the thing. This is why Jesus said this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and, and this is why he said, we must seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, the more that we seek to desire Jesus, the less we will covet the things of this world, right? Because wealth, health, um, possessions, reputations, uh, the other things of this world, they really do look silly in comparison to the Lord of glory. To the Lord of glory who created you, who knows you, who knit you in your mother's womb. So we must seek him. And how do you do that? We seek him through prayer. Maybe it starts with the fact that you just cry out to God and say, I know I'm supposed to desire you, but I don't. Could you get honest? Could you get honest with God? He already knows. He will not be like, whoa, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I thought we were tight. No, I, I want to desire you, but my, my want to and, and what's actually happening in my heart, they're not lining up. God, help me. Seek him in his word. Read, read, read. Ask him to open the eyes of your heart to see and to understand and to know how great he is. Seek him in community. Come on, man. Like, we're doing everything we can to create an atmosphere where you can walk into it and enjoy fellowship with one another. If you're not in a community group, I'm asking you, this should be the semester that you get in a community group. And not just, like, attend every once in a blue moon. Make it a priority. And if you do, oh, I know you'll be blessed. Because my family, man, we have been blessed in and through the community of God's family. Outside of Sunday, outside of Friday night, but like in real community where we're seeking the Lord together. But you know what? All you could do all that. You know, we need one more thing. We need the power of his spirit at work mightily to change the desires of our heart. Do you think God longs to change the desires of your heart towards him? He does, and he has the power to do it. So will you do that? Because here's the thing. True and lasting happiness apart from Jesus Christ is impossible. It's impossible. That's why we must set our hearts to desire God above all else. If, if you do this, right, if you do, then you will never, ultimately, never be disappointed because there is no greater, no higher, no longer joy that's available to anyone apart from Jesus. He is the greatest, the longest, the highest, greatest joy that your soul could ever enjoy. See, the greatest blessing of all is to, to know and to believe the good news of Jesus and to come in to the smiling face of God and to enjoy life with him. And that's what he offers you. And so we must seek to be content in Jesus Christ. We must seek to live lives of contentment. That's your second point. Contentment's not something ultimately that you and I will fight for. It's actually something we rest in. It's something that we rest in. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean we do nothing, but we do. We rest in the fact that he has done it all through his life, his death, and his resurrection, and now I enjoy him. No matter the circumstance, we are going to be content with what we have. See, outside of Jesus, nobody 
ever modeled this greater than the Apostle Paul. And I want to show you. In Indiana, uh, throughout the summer, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And if you're familiar with that book, the whole theme is joy. And I'm talking undaunted joy, no matter your circumstances. And Paul gets near the end of the letter. And in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he said this, I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, as we look at those particular words, it's really important to understand the circumstances that Paul finds himself in. To say it lightly, they're not good. They're not good at all. He finds himself in a Roman prison. He finds himself... He, he knows that there's a lot of trouble within the church. We have a couple of ladies in chapter three that are not getting along and he's asking people to work beside them to help resolve that. He's got false teachers coming in. He's very concerned about the health of the church. They're from the inside, they're from the outside and all this is happening. And yet Paul in prison is a man who is content despite his circumstances because he understands that contentment, contentment cannot live in the same heart as coveting. And so he seeks the Lord. And the, the, the text says, I have learned to be content. You know, when you get saved, you don't just get zapped into this. He's had to learn it. And no doubt he's had to learn it the hard way. But he's learned to trust God no matter what situation he finds himself in. Paul has a peaceful acceptance of where God in his infinite wisdom has placed him because Paul believes in all the all-powerful sovereign Lord of the universe is reigning over heaven and earth and if God wanted him anywhere else he'd be there and so he trusts he trusts no, no doubt he had moments of weakness and doubt he's a human but he knew that God would provide for his ultimate needs and so what is the secret? He said, I've learned the secret of this supernatural contentment that's found in God who strengthens him. Look at verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, now here's the thing. This verse many times is taken out of context to, to be said to make it do lots of things well that it's not saying. Like, I can score thousands of touchdowns because Jesus does all these awesome things through sports heroes. Um, or... I hear it in church at times, like, well, I can do all things who strengthens me, and so I'll take on a responsibility that really doesn't meet my gifting. Like, for instance, I love to sing, right? I love it. No one's ever asked me to come up here and sing. Why? Well, I mean, could God give my vo vocal cords the, the ability to do it? Yeah, he has not yet. He has not. I like to sing, but they let me sing down there, and they keep turning it up because I keep singing louder. And he does strengthen me. But not in that way. He strengthens me to be content with the fact that I don't need to be up here. I can worship from there. Because my joy is not found in being on the worship team. My joy is found in being a worshiper. Right? So I need to be content. Jesus is sufficient. In the context of what he's saying here is that God will supply every need of yours in order to be content because Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. Do you believe that? I mean, Paul said, I know how to, to be content in poverty and in abundance. In abundance. Why do you have to learn to be content in abundance? Doesn't everybody just think, well, if I'm in abundance, I don't have to worry about, you know, being content. I would say wrong. 
Because Satan aims to destroy our joy in Jesus through plenty and through poverty, through pain and through pleasure. I mean, look around. America is wealthy, and they are the most discontent people on the face of this planet. So apparently, money's not enough. And he knew that. And so the reason is, is because he counted everything as loss already. You know, he would say, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And he says, I count them as rubbish, right? Refuse. You could call it sewage in the street. That's what I call it. In order that I may gain Christ. Now, he has Christ. He wants more of him. You want to be discontent? I think the only discontentment that's allowed in the Bible is a holy discontentment to want more of Christ in your life. Let's be that discontent people, right? Because Paul was hungry. He wanted more of him. And he knew the more that he knew Christ, he realized that he could trust that God would supply every need he had according to the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus. And therefore, he could trust him. How about you? Seriously, how about you? Do you really believe, and I'm serious, that the, that the circumstances you're in right now is the best possible circumstances under God's sovereign care for you? And I'm not talking if you're in sin. I'm not saying that. But let's say, many times people will say, well, if, I, if, my, if my husband or my wife would just do X, Y, and Z, then I could be content, then I could be happy. In what ways do you need your spouse to change in order for you to really be content in Christ? How about singleness, right? Maybe you're here and maybe you're single. In what ways do you think that marriage will finally make you happy? I can finally be content. Children, right? Maybe you're waiting to to have children. That's a good desire. Pray for it. We'll pray with you. But at the end of the day, if the Lord says no, is he still good and can you be content? Yes, but maybe you have children. And, And now you're like, man, I just need them to get older and listen to me and do everything I say. Then I could be content. Then I could be happy. Right? You have a teenager? Okay. <laughs> health. Health. If I just had the, the perfect health. You will one day, but you won't right now. Do you believe that the Lord has you there and that he's working for your good? If you love him and are called according to his purposes, he is working for your ultimate good. Do you trust him? What about in financial difficulties or in financial abundance, in, in relationships, in career? How about in church, right? Church, you can see discontentment many times. People will come into a church and they're like, I had to leave that church. And there's times that you need to leave a church. I left a church to come to here, right? But it wasn't without a lot of prayer and a lot of thought. But there was the right time. But there's times where people will leave a church and they really shouldn't. They're just discontent because they don't have the right whatever. Well, unless it's the right gospel, you need to work through those things many times. We're discontent people. But Christ will give us the power to be content in him. And I know some of you personally are working through hard things. And it's not a trifling thing to say what I'm saying. But I'm telling you. God will give you the power to be content and to have an undaunted joy in Christ. Do you trust him? I mean, listen, my wife, my daughter and I, we went on a vacation here a a couple weeks ago. And for those who know, my wife jacked up her, her leg on vacation. And it was like the, the third day or something. And so it was bad. By the way, just to get all the, the things out in the open, here's how it happened. We were on top of a mountain. We noticed that a sea turtle was like choking on a plastic straw. You've probably read about this in some of the news articles. And she ran down the mountain, jumped on a, a 
like a porpoise, right? Like a, uh, and she rode out to the sea and from her dismount from that thing to this turtle, she jacked up her leg. But because that seems a little bit arrogant, we've been telling everybody she just stepped down and twisted it and some different things. But, but in a moment where it was really just like, really? Like that crept into our heart because I actually, before this moment, thought that Maine had not been affected by the fall. I mean, I've been there three times. It's always nice. It's awesome. I love it. The lobster's good. The weather's great. There's no stress. I unplug all my technology. I enjoy my wife. I enjoy my daughter. And now she's gone and blown it. Like literally, like she blew her leg really up bad. And, and in a moment we thought like, this is terrible. And then I thought, this is just the way we like it. And I'm like, no, it's really not. It's really not the way we like it, but that's a mantra. Well, here's the thing. It's not the vacation we wanted. It's really not. Like, we didn't order that one. But then I thought, and we thought, and we trust, it must be the vacation we needed. And I believe that. Because here's the thing. You can still eat lobster with a banged up leg. You can still watch ships come in and out of the harbor. You can still enjoy Jesus and love one another through pain and through suffering. And by God's grace, we did. Do you believe that where you're at right now, your heavenly father has ordained and allowed this current situation to bring your ultimate good to be more like Christ, to cause you to desire him above all else? Do you trust him? And if you don't, you are very vulnerable to the sin of covetousness. Lastly, rejoice. And when I say lastly, like we're getting close to being done, but we're not really done. It's just the last point. The last point is rejoice in thankfulness for who Christ is and what he's done, right? It's impossible to be content in all circumstances if thankfulness does not fill our hearts and minds. And when I say thankfulness, thankfulness for all that Christ is and all that he's done through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. See, Jesus is the, the source of our joy as Christians. If you're not a Christian, oh, how I long for you to be a Christian, I've been praying for you. I don't know you. God knows you and he loves you. And he wants you to finally come and be satisfied in him because he's created you for himself. And I'm praying you'll trust him because you and I can do nothing of any value apart from him because here's the thing. Our lives apart from him are empty. They're meaningless and they're attempts to find satisfaction in things that can't satisfy True and lasting happiness apart from Jesus is impossible. And I know that because I've done it my whole life apart from him until he saved me. But seeking Christ is real and lasting happiness no matter what situation you find yourself in because only Jesus is eternal. Everything else is temporary. Only Jesus actually fills the void. Jesus completes you. He makes you whole. He brings real and lasting pleasures forever and satisfaction. Only Jesus brings real peace no matter what our circumstances. Because only Jesus gives real purpose to our lives. Because that's what we were created for. But because of our sin and our folly, we wander we wander from him, we're desperately thirsty, and, and we will drink from lots of things, but until we drink from him, we will never, ever find our hearts truly happy, truly satisfied. And, and Jesus knew this, that's why he said in Matthew thirteen forty four, he said this, that the kingdom of heaven is, is like a treasure, 
hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. And then in his joy, I love that it says that he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys this field. What a crazy analogy. I absolutely love this picture that Jesus paints with these words. Imagine you're out in a field and you stumble upon a treasure that is amazing. It's more valuable than anything you've ever seen, anything you ever have owned, or anything you could ever own if you live this lifetime and 10 lifetimes to come. And you come upon this and you say, this is so valuable. I will sell everything I have in order to get this. Okay. So immediately you look around. Is anybody seeing this? Did they like check this? They're looking for game cams because like we're in Western PA. We got to make sure there's no hunting cams. And you quickly realize there's nothing like that around. And you go from there and you sell with joy. And all your neighbors are looking at you and they think you're insane. And, and they come up to you and they start saying, are you, are you okay? Like, man, you're like selling everything. And you look at them like with a crooked grin, right? Because because you know that you have just found something that is worth losing everything for. Because it's real gain. It's real treasure. All this other stuff, it's trinkets. This is the picture that Jesus gives us of the gospel. He's the treasure. Do you treasure him? And if not, ask him to change your desires and start to treasure him. Because that's where real peace, real satisfaction will come from. Because Jesus is someone worth losing everything for. Because when you lose it, you gain him. You gain him. You come into the presence of God and you see the delight of your heavenly father. But that can't happen apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody comes to the father except through me. You want this treasure? Well, come on, you crooked, smiling people. Come on into the kingdom. But you got to enjoy me. You got to love me. You can't just receive me as like a fire insurance to get you out of hell. No, you have to delight in me. And you can't do that. The rich young ruler couldn't make his heart see that Jesus was treasure. Jesus had to do that. He had to flip the switch. He had to make him be born again to see, oh, you are treasure. (laughs) Coins, money, boats. Are you kidding me? I'd fling it all off because you're so worth it. He works with the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Ask him to give you that sight. If you've never seen like that, ask him to give you that sight. Ask him to cause your blind heart to to come alive, to see. Oh, he longs to answer that prayer. And Jesus has made a way through the cross. He has took the punishment we so deserve. Because here's the thing, you and I, we are ultimately, we're covetous whores before God. We really are. And if you think that's bad language, the Bible uses it all over the place. We covet after everything. We seek pleasure outside of God all the time. And because of that, you and I deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's wrath. Your greatest problem, if you're not in Christ, is you're under the wrath of God. And God, in his kindness, sent Jesus to absorb the wrath that you and I deserve. And he drank it to the last drop. And because of that, he calls us to trust in him, to put our faith in Jesus as this wrath absorber. And he says, give me your sin and I will give you my righteousness. I will give you life with the Father. You'll be in me and I'll be in you. And that's where real joy happens. And so we come 
and we come as crooked tooth smiling sinners into the kingdom to enjoy the perfect smile of God in and on in imperfect people. But we have the perfect righteousness of Jesus and he gives it as a gift. It's grace. That's the beauty I mean, we couldn't obey the Ten Commandments perfectly if we tried, but Jesus did. And then he went to the cross and said, I've done it for them. It's finished. Will you trust in him? And if you do, oh, here's the beauty. He will pardon all your sins, all your past, all your present, all your future sins that you haven't even committed yet, and he'll, he'll forget them. He'll remember them no more. As far as the east is to the west, he will remove your transgressions. He will bring you into the family. He doesn't just pardon your sins. He adopts sinners, but he makes them holy he makes them perfect. He makes you new. And then he loves you. And he puts his love upon you. And you're in Christ and Christ is in you. And so now you have a heart that can obey these 10 commandments. Why? To get the love of God? No. Because you have it. And you want to be like dad. And you want to obey. Why? Because it's the best. It's the best. It's not so that he'll love you. He does love you. You ever doubt that? Look at the cross. It's the greatest picture of God's love ever. And because the grave could not hold Jesus, he triumphantly rose from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And he has made a way for sinners like you and I to come into the presence of God and to enjoy him forever and to have our hearts truly satisfied. Oh, church, desire Christ. Seek to live in contentment and rejoice with a thankful heart for this amazing God named Christ. And so, let us continue, by God's grace, to walk with him, to love one another, to seek the lost, and seek to kill covetousness with a greater desire for Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.